And so we say, let's enter a consulting relationship. We don't have an agenda, but you know, we want to provide a professional service, help you make educated decisions to arrive at a price. And everybody thinks that I have some persuasive, poetic way of selling it. I don't. I bring it up. The best clients are usually writing me a check before I finish the sentence. So... The following is brought to you by Thrive, the end-to-end client experience platform that helps you get the job, manage the job, and get credit. Hey, hey, this is Gordon Henry at Winning on Main Street for show of 23. I hope you all had a happy new year and uh, let's have a great year together. This week, we're fortunate to be meeting Brady Fry. Welcome to the show, Brady. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right. So listeners, we're, uh, we've got a real entrepreneur on our hands today. Brady Fry runs Fry Classic Construction in Nashville, Tennessee, beauty, building beautiful high-end homes. He's got a full-service general contracting firm specialized in new residential construction and remodeling. They're expert builders. Every home is completely customized to suit the needs and personal preferences of each client. He's got tremendous insight on what it takes to be a successful contractor, and he's going to share it with you today. What are we listening uh, to get uh, you know, out of the show? What should you get out of the episode? Listen to an expert who can give you insights on what not to do as well as what to do, particularly if you're a contractor, but really any small business. And this will impact the jobs you bid on and the price you charge and also how you manage your business. So Brady, Let's get into it. You know, just to scroll through your website, fryclassicconstruction.com, which I did before the show, shows, you know, you definitely build beautiful homes that most people would love to live in. But I'm real interested to hear about the journey. How did you get into building beautiful homes and how did you build your company? Yeah, well, um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Like many people that came to Nashville, um, I came here for my love of music Um, as a high school and young adult, you know, I aspired to work in the music industry and did for attended Belmont University, which a lot of people aspire to be in the music industry attend. And um, so I came here, you know, kind of from a creative perspective. I've said it many times, Nashville is like the uh, World Series of music. All the best players from all over the world are congregating in this one area. And so it doesn't take, you could probably figure out in about an hour, where you stack up with the best musicians in the world because they're all over. They play in every bar, every church, every venue. You can imagine you don't dare pick up a guitar or a microphone in Nashville if you're not an expert musician. And so uh, uh, I realized pretty quick that, you know what? I might have been good from where I was from, but man, when you really see yourself against the best musicians in the world, this probably... Is, is not going to be great for me. And, and I, I was pretty realistic. I wasn't a writer, a creator of music. I was just a musician. And so, um, but I still had the aspiration to be in the music business. So I spent um, a number of years working behind the scenes, artist management, road management. And so um, I managed some tours, uh, which is a big logistical you know, nightmare. We have a bunch of semis, a bunch of lighting, sound equipment, a bunch of musicians, and all of it needs to leave this city on this date drive all night, get to another city and set it up and perform another show at a very specific time tomorrow. So um, really, and I started doing that in my early 20s, 
and it really isn't that dissimilar to building a house. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. There are a lot of opportunities to go wrong. When they do go wrong, somebody's got to have their head together, figure out a solution quickly and move forward because doors are opening whether you're ready or not. So, uh, you know, really um, a lot of parallels between managing a tour and building a custom home. Wow, that's that's fascinating. I didn't I didn't expect that kind of answer. Uh, I never heard that. And and what do you play? You play guitar? I play guitar. Yeah, I got a couple sitting in my office. Okay, very cool. Well, um, I interesting start to a, a career that wouldn't seem to be connected, but I guess it is. Um, just switching gears a little bit. So Nashville, and in, in addition to being an amazing country music place, um, I don't know if it's foresight or luck, but it's also one of the hottest markets in the country for construction and, and just general growth, right? I mean, the place is really uh, on fire. It's been a rocket ship really in the 30 years that I've been here. Um, it's, you know, the last 10 years, particularly, it's been hot. You know, again, I fell in love with it for its music and its culture. I think what makes it a little bit uh, more interesting, you know, maybe we're similar populations to other metropolitan areas, but I think that, you know, the roots that we have in music and Southern culture, which maybe make us cooler than, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina is a great city. It's big. I know it's particularly cool, you know, um, and so we have some of those cool cultural and musical um, identity that's here. I think you're exactly right. You know, when people ask me what are the kind of keys to my success, I think I have some personal attributes that are helpful, but I could have those same attributes. And if I was in Decatur, Illinois, I wouldn't be having the same career experience because there wouldn't be a big demand for things that I'm good at. So um, I didn't pick Nashville because construction was on fire. And I didn't pick construction because Nashville was on fire. Both of those things kind of um, lent themselves to attributes of my interest and my ability. And I got very fortunate that things that, that I had a ability at was in a market where there's just been increasing demand. So let's uh, turn a little bit to Brady Fry Construction. Ha you know, just give us some metrics. How big is your company? How long you've been around? How many jobs a year do you do? How many employees you yeah. have? Um, really, I guess probably post 2015 is when I started kind of consistently getting more um, opportunities. And particularly, well, maybe this is even to a lesson to some people that think it's all going to happen quicker. I didn't really start getting a real consistent demand for these fine homes until about three and a half years ago. Hmm. Uh, you know, that first pipeline you get, you go, man, is this pipeline the culmination of 10 years of effort? And I'm going to work through this big pipeline and then it'd be empty. Or am I going to be able to be this? Is my business going to be known as the person that produces this quality of work and will always be able to fill this pipeline? And so um, the business got dramatically more, um, you know, even though I've been in it 20 years, sophisticated just three years ago. And so now we have um, 15, we run 13 to 15 employees. Uh, we have some guys on our maintenance team and those, you know, those guys kind of, kind of come and go. We'll probably add a couple more staff positions this year. Um, last few years, we've done about $15 million a year in revenue. We'll probably be just north of 20 next year, but we believe with the staff that we have in place and the sales that we have, that we can produce about $30 million a year in revenue with our current team, pretty much how it is. So, How many jobs a year, you say $15 million in revenue, 
is that average home a million dollars? Is it 15 homes? How many homes equal 15 no, million dollars? Well, it's interesting because I remember the first time I got a $3 million job, I was delighted. And that would be a small job for us. Most of the stuff that we get now, our average job is probably 7 or $8 million, um, up to $15 million. So we usually have about six active jobs. We have um, three project managers right now. One of our commitments as a company is we'll never have a project manager that's doing more than two projects. Um, and sometimes they only have one based on the scope of the project and the timing. And they're usually in different phases. So we're usually on the back end of a project and starting. We wouldn't put a project manager where, where they have two starts or two finishes at the same time. You know, there's kind of a curved uh, construction. And so, you know, if you can kind of space those out, there's different phases of the construction that require a little less bandwidth from the project manager. And so they can be really intense closing out another job. Another job might be getting framed that takes two months to frame it, and they don't have to be hovering every second of the day for that task to happen. Uh, so that's a pretty sophisticated operation. And I'm wondering, as you've grown, as you've scaled the business, you know, just how you've successfully scaled it. And particularly, uh, we're always interested on the show in sort of the systems, the technology. Uh, we'll get yeah. to social media and that stuff in a minute, but I'm talking yeah. more your back office. Are there systems you've put in place to enable you to sort of grow this business and manage it without things getting, you know, chaotic? Yeah, I think that's always the kind of the, the challenge of the entrepreneur. You're always looking to do that. I'll address your question kind of two different ways. The business is, the business is very much a part of me. I mean, I built it mostly as a solo entrepreneur. I am a builder. I consider myself a builder first, not a businessman. I didn't look at spreadsheets and rates of return and, and go, man, I'm going to go into construction. I, so I, I look at things from a trade perspective. So in terms of how we produce our product, it's very personal to me. Even among our project manager team, it's got to look like I did it myself. And I tell everybody, I will go back to building them myself to maintain this, this quality but if I do, we don't need 15 people. So from in terms of what the expectation is on the final product, it's very personal to me. And I've, it's very much my fingerprints on how things look, what our quality standards are. Now, when you talk about operation and technology and systems, I'm different. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm a more of a big picture guy on that sort of thing. And so, as you start building your business and you realize people have other amplitudes, you now have a full-time estimating and purchasing department. Uh, two talented young women that are way more uh, capable of going through really detailed specifications line by line by line by line by line and confirming those. With the supply chain we have now, if there's a mistake, the reconciliation might be 20 weeks away. So the stakes are very high. It's not really my amplitude. And so we're using some technologies. We use a, um, a uh, construction management tool, Co-Construct, which is one of the you know, nationally distributed marketing products. Um, but what I'll say, so we're using that product, um, but I didn't even onboard the product. As a business owner, I don't think I would have been that effective at onboarding the product. So I want two of my employees that are better at that thing, I said, hey, here's a first of all, you assess this technology. Do you think this is a technology to be valuable? Yes. Okay. Um, 
would you be in charge of onboarding the product? So if, if it was up to me attending all the education seminar, going through the, the, the frequently asked questions, not a chance it would happen, not a chance. But because I've empowered people that are more in their aptitude, it's working out better. So I, so what I understand, the biggest things that improve our business, some of, the, some of them are my ideas, some of them aren't, but rarely are, am I the person that actually implements it, even if it's my idea. And many times it's not my idea. We know you're uh, active on, on social media. I checked out your Instagram uh, post. Um, it's interesting that a person in, the, in your business and, and, and you being the boss um, is, is interested in that, but you are. Why? Well, I just want to be in the conversation. I, I enjoy consuming social media. I don't love contributing to social media. Um, the thing that I think is really different about the time we're living in, both as a market being Nashville and um, technology at large in the world we're living in, as Nashville's become more people moving in, um, there's more technology, there's more ways to broadcast to your audience and to tell your story and to communicate what problems you solve. I said, wait a minute, I don't think this old paradigm really works. And I think if I just assume because I've traditionally been in the conversation for the really good jobs, that I'm always going to be in the conversation, I might be wrong. And I don't want to find out when my phone hasn't rang for a year that that's true. And I don't want some 35-year-old builder who's doing a good job of communicating their value proposition, showing what problems they solve to start taking my work. So, you know, uh, that's just kind of how I perceived it. You know, some people really love it. I don't love it. I don't consider myself an influencer. I'm a builder. Um, I'm not out trying to cut brand deals or um, be a spokesperson or or any of that. I, some people in construction are really into the, hey, man, you can get brand. I, I, I want to be a builder. That's what I love doing. And so I, I want to keep building a builder. <laughs> so uh, I'll participate in social media and other forms of, uh, of uh, you know, getting our message out uh, to that end. So. Yeah, that's great. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about bidding on jobs and pricing. Um, I, I I wonder if you have recommendations on on bidding. Um, you know, how do you do it, and how do you recommend people, uh, you know, in the trade do it? And and are there some classic things that people do wrong? Yeah, well, I, first, I think the first thing that people do wrong um, is competitively bid anything. And I, I was kind of I walk a lot. I've, I've been. Um, getting in shape and have some fitness goals. And so I walk a lot. I have a lot of time to think. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of an introspective person in that respect. And I thought, what if we ordered a steak like we order professional services? <laughs> if somebody just put out a memo and said, I would like a filet Friday night and I'm going to buy the cheapest proposal I get, how good do you think that steak would be? It'd be terrible. If the basis for winning the stake was price, you would, but, but we don't buy steak that way. Somebody goes, Hey man, if you want a really good steak in a really comfortable environment, it's 65 bucks. Right. And so we've made this agreement when we purchase steak that we will buy a $65 steak that is tasty and prepared well in a comfortable environment. And we accept that and, and, and we actually enjoy it. 
And if somebody gave us a steak that tasted like shoe leather, and then we said, what is this? This is horrible. And you said, yeah, that's a $9 filet. There would be no satisfaction um, in enjoying that steak. And so what I encourage people, any professional sales responsibility, you don't want to be considered a person who's bidding a project. You want to be um, present yourself as a professional consultant. So now I'm not bidding it. We are in a, I'm in a consultant relationship. And so what I do with my customers is we can talk about some general guidelines. You know, there's some things that we need to vet in terms of where's the project, what's your budget, some expectations. But before they really want me to be doing any meaningful work, I have a pre-construction agreement. And that pre-construction agreement has a fee. And, um, um, and so immediately we're on a one-on-one consulting relationship and if they're just going to go out and get a bunch of proposals there's no standardized formatting in construction we always get plans that have omissions errors lack of information there's no standard bidding document it's not even relative in what we do it's not even there's not having five guys look at it can almost tell you nothing meaningful and so we say let's enter a consulting relationship we don't have an agenda but, you know, we want to provide a professional service, help you make educated decisions to arrive at a price, not just take bad plans with little or no information, um, attach a price to it, hope that we set a price that was lower than anybody else's, and then you decide to hire us. It's just a, it's a bad way to get a job. And what I have found is the best clients, it's, it's funny, these young builders, they've heard me speak on this subject before, and they'll call me and go, I can't do that in my market. And I say, but nobody's doing your market. What an easy way to differentiate yourself. Uh, that, even better if nobody's charging for consulting services, even better. Um, and the best clients immediately realize the value. Like I, I spend so little time trying to justify it. And everybody thinks that I have some persuasive, poetic way of selling it. I don't. I bring it up. The best clients are usually writing me a check before I finish the sentence. So, but uh, it's, it's been the most powerful things, qualifying your customers better, attaching some stakes that verify their commitment to you. Uh, uh, and I'll liken it to this. I don't know what kind of vehicle you drive, but you know, if you take a car to an auto body shop, there's an assessment fee. You're not required to replace your transmission, but they don't pull your engine get a guy underneath there on a dolly on his back for three hours to tell you how much it is. And then do you go take it somewhere else to get fixed? That person's getting paid to assess what your needs are and to prescribe a formula for you. Construction should be the same way. I think, I think that that process of attaching an agreement, a fee, some expectations, uh, make sure that both people, you know, are, are on the path towards an actual project. They're just not out tire kicking and price shopping. So I, I want to touch on a subject that I think is near and dear to your heart, which is hiring and hiring your workforce and, and the talent that you need to do what you do. Um, is it a, is it, is it a challenge for you to um, hire people, find people? Y yes, but I will say, so uh, a couple of things, I mean, you know, um, yes, but I think the key to it is you got to live in a recruiting mindset. You know, if you meet somebody who's really sharp, you might not have a position for them right now. But um, there's people that I've had relationships with 
years before they came to work for me. They didn't need a job and I didn't have a job. So I think as business owners, when you, when you, I feel like I'm a pretty good, um, I recognize talented people. I just feel like I see that person. I go, wow, this person is sharp, man. I, I'd love to find a place for them. And so um, I just think that as a, if you're not looking for talent until you need talent, you're always going to be behind. If you're always looking for talent and you love talent, you're never behind because I usually have four or five people that I'm going, man, I can't wait till I have a spot. Um, I'm going to call that person um, up. So I think you just have to have that recruiting mindset. And I have it because I enjoy people and I enjoy talented people. And so, you know, when I meet people that impress me, I, I remember it. I stay in touch with them. I can't wait to an opportunity where I get to call and go, Hey, where are you at in your life? You, 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 you're willing to think about a move, man, we, we got a spot and, you know, um, I don't have any formal training in recruiting or hiring practices. I probably, some of my practices are anti what the traditional business world would tell you, but it's just, just how I work. I, I trust my gut pretty implicitly. Um, so you have, a philosophy about how to run the business in a way that you think is going to make it work, not just for you personally, but also make it attractive for the employees, right? Yeah, I, I say all the time, I, I uh, work to live. I don't live to work. I enjoy my work. Don't don't mistake. I don't do this just to fund other things, but this isn't my life. I have three children that I love. Um, I want to be at every, well, now they're young adults, so they need me less, but I, if, they're out, if, if they're out of school, I want to be with them. I want to travel. Um, I want to have great experiences. And so that's not just for me. My clients are sorry. My employees aren't here just to fund my dreams. I want this business to fund their dreams as well. One thing I really admire about Gary Keller, um, who was the visionary and the namesake of Keller Williams Realty, is Gary said, hey, man, I'd like to I kind of want to be like a like a Mac computer and I'll be this platform and then other people can bring things and man, this thing can just grow and they can realize their dreams and ambitions inside of what I'm doing. And they feel like, Hey, I can just grow here instead of going, man, I outgrew Brady. Now I have to leave. And so um, I say it, I believe it. You know, I've had employees say, man, I'm gonna have to work on this on Saturday. I go, we'll get to it Monday. Let's just do it Monday recharge over the weekend. And so I think it's a, that's a little bit less typical in construction because we're used to go, 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 go. And what I've encouraged my peers in the construction industry to realize, we're in a competition now for talent. And construction, traditionally, a lot of people that are in construction ended up here, particularly in the labor force. They didn't choose to be a painter or a tradesperson. They've got, you know, DUIs or um, recovering drug addicts or criminal records, they're not, they're not appealing to the traditional business market. Now we're saying we want to appeal to people. We want this to be their first choice. Well, if this is going to be their first choice, we have to compete with other industries and have vacation time and sick days and benefits. Those things haven't traditionally been available in a residential. It's a big commercial office, but that's been almost unheard of in residential construction. And I think if these people want to solve the labor gap and, and, and hire the best talent, they're going to have to compete with the other industries for those prospects. 
Just in the last few minutes we have, I wanted to ask you a couple more personal questions. First of all, do you have any mentors, uh, you, you know, who's been critical to your development along the way? Well, it's interesting. Um, I don't have that formal. Um, it's, it's interesting because I'm a mentor for other people. They've called me and said, will you mentor me? And I say, yes. And I say, hey, congratulations for you. I was either too, maybe I was too insecure to make that phone call when I was your age. And I wish I had, because I think the person who is the mentor enjoys it. I enjoy it. I love hearing from these young people and, and helping them solve some problems. Um, so I don't have that formal one person that I have coffee with once a month or that I pick up the phone and call. But there are people um, that are, you know, one of the things I've tried to say to these um, younger builders that I try to help, we want somebody to hand us the picture of what it takes to do it. But the, it's not really a picture. It's a puzzle. And what I do is you get all this information from podcasts, from YouTube, from uh, professional organizations, and you have to see which ones really apply to you and which pieces that you think you can implement. So more than having a specific mentor, I go, hey, uh, Michael Stone, who wrote a book 20 years ago, Markup and Profit, A Contractor's Guide, was instrumental in breaking the paradigm that there's one price, that's what we get paid, and we all have to make um, our businesses operate in this price that somebody invented. We don't even know where it came from. Um, very fundamental on how I built a business. I said, hey, I think I can actually be charging more in some circumstances, or this isn't, we don't just take an arbitrary fee that somebody else imposed on us. So Michael was very um, important in kind of breaking that paradigm. There's a consultant um, who, who's a friend of mine, Sean Van Dyke. Sean did some consulting for me, and Sean broke the paradigm. We try to be everybody's friend. And he goes, hey, Brady, your job right now is to sell. You might be a consultant. Stop consulting. You have to sell. When they hire you, you can be a consultant. But right now, it's okay to use some sales techniques to close deals. You don't have to give away endless amounts of valuable information to build trust and hopefully a month sell. Because if you don't sell, it's going to be negative for your family and your employees. So you must sell. So he was really fundamental in that. Um, Brad Levitt, who's a peer of mine, Brad's probably 10 years younger than me. Um, but Brad, one of the big things that I guess Brad inspired me about is I go, wait a minute. I think I can build this business a lot bigger than I, I thought. You know, I had to see somebody go, well, maybe I can build more than two houses and maybe I could have more employees and maybe you can scale a construction business. I didn't even realize that was possible until Instagram because I was, wasn't watching what was happening in my industry nationally. I was just watching the guys that were 10 years um, older than me and going, well, can I get where they got in the next 10 years? Instead of going, well, why are they limiting what my belief is? Um, Andrew Patterson has an $80 million a year construction business. Maybe I could be an $80 million construction year business. And Brad Levitt's a $30 million. So, you know, Brad is really, we've gotten to be good friends, but Brad, Brad was the person that kind of gave me that puzzle piece of, hey, wait, why are you looking at, a, maybe the opportunity is way bigger than what you thought it was. And Brad's a smart guy in a good market, but guess what? You're a smart guy in a good market. So maybe you should be 
um, dreaming a little bigger than you've been dreaming previously. So those are a few of the guys. Um, but I wish I had the confidence, the courage, and any young people that listen to your podcast, pick up the phone, um, listen, uh, call somebody you admire. They'll probably agree to mentor you. If they don't, that's probably more reflection on them than it is on you. Don't get discouraged. If it takes you a couple phone calls to find that person that's got the right heart, um, pick up the phone call. I wish, I really, it's one of the things I regret. I looked at him as, as what's in it for them. Why would they mentor me? They know everything and I know nothing. And, and I didn't have my head straight. So uh, yeah, pick up the phone and, and find a mentor. I wish I had. Well, that's a, a great way to end the show and very uh, inspiring words. And I, I think it's it's really true. And I, uh, I hope some people will take that to heart. So Brady, um, uh, just to finish this off, where can uh, people learn more about you and, and where, you know, what you're doing? Yeah, check me out on Instagram, Fry Classic Construction. You know, I post some information videos. We show some of our, our work. Um, also, I have a website, FryClassicConstruction.com. Uh, Brady at FryClassicConstruction.com is my email address. But uh, yeah, if people reach out to me regularly, you know, I, I, I do get a fair amount of people reach out, but I, you know, not so many that I can't, I can't stay in touch. So I made a lot of friends um, through Instagram, social media, podcast, and uh, um, yeah. So if something I've had is the problem you're trying to solve, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to correspond with you. Fantastic. Well, uh, Brady, I want to thank you again for coming on our show. It's been great to have you here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I want to thank our producer, Tim Alleman, our coordinators, Diet Barnett and Daniel Huddleston. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues, friends, and family to subscribe. And please leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. and helps us in the rankings. Until next time, make it a great week.